How do the Baltimore Ravens get back on track? We talk about that and more coming up next year on Locked On Ravens. You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Ostraker of Ravens Wire. Thank you so much for tuning in with us here, making us your first listen of the day free and available on all platforms, including over on YouTube. And we're back a Tuesday episode here to talk with us, Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown, talking about just how the Ravens can get back on track after their 28 to 27 loss to Jacksonville, moving their record to seven and four. And Spencer, I know this was a tough game. The Ravens, they can't get anything going on offense in those first three quarters. The defense does pretty well, but then the fourth quarter collapsed by the defense. Jacksonville scores 18 points on that fourth quarter. What were your overall takeaways from this one, both offensively and defensively? It was really just a summation of the problems that the Ravens have had in 2022 Offensively, the roster construction of it, the ineptitude pre-snap in terms of operations and play calling and getting to the line of scrimmage. And then defensively, playing a little bit timid or scared or playing as if the game was over before it was, it felt like. And at the end of the day, I was frustrated with the offensive performance in the first half. I was super impressed the way that they rallied with such a simple thing. Like we hear John Harbaugh coming out of the half. You're watching the broadcast. You hear the sideline reporters say, John Harbaugh said the halftime adjustment needed is to get the play calls in faster, which has been almost a half a decade of the same issue recurring. And you can get into concepts and routes and players and whatever, but really the one consistent thing that I think has held this offense back. And I would say, I guess is John Harbaugh and Greg Roman's, offensive issue with this iteration of the Ravens is not getting to the line of scrimmage, not getting the call in, not making the substitutions fast enough, making too many substitutions, doubting themselves, fiddling between two plays or trying to call two plays at once, all of those things combined. And it was just as simple as that. Get the play calls in quicker. Oh, and then the Ravens go and score two touchdowns in the second half and get the lead and get a nine point lead and then go take another lead with, you know, less than two minutes to play. So uh, that was a a summation of that issue. And then defensively, again, it's just they get a strip sack on second down. It's third and 21. And it's like there's still two downs left. You do have to get off the field still. And they go let up 16 yards. They go play soft. They start playing a bunch of cover two. The Jaguars obviously are going tempo. And the Ravens were just letting them walk down the field and get out of bounds and not playing outside leverage. You need to force them to the middle of the field. And the interesting thing defensively is really that they're playing so conservative and you don't have Geno Stone, or excuse me, you don't have Marcus Williams and you don't have Kyle Hamilton and, you know, Fuller goes down early in the year. Um, So you're missing a couple guys, sure, but the Jaguars weren't attacking over top. I don't think they really even tried any bombs or any, you know, 40-yard passes all day long when they were successful. It was picking on the number two slot defenders really between the numbers and the hashes or right around there. So what were they going to do? They were going to keep trying to pick 8, 10, 15 yards at a time, run out of bounds, throw a couple hitches, run out of bounds, and you just didn't force them to the middle of the field at all. Um, People wanted a timeout. I get that. I I also felt at the same time, you know, 
you might end up getting the ball back with 25 seconds left. And it'd be really nice to have three timeouts. And then the Ravens end up using one of them ahead of the two point conversion. And as soon as the two point conversion happens, you call a timeout, you have Brandon Stevens at outside corner, which felt like a mistake. And especially when, when he has the goal line, you don't need to play him at boundary corner. I would have liked to see them maybe use another safety, use another corner, something of the sort and put Marlon Humphrey in that isolated situation. You allowed him to get isolated, and then Zay Jones goes and picks on him. Trevor Lawrence throws a really nice ball, and they take the lead. So with that, it was an upsetting performance on both sides of the football, and they couldn't play complimentary football. Yeah, and there were a couple guys that were missing this one. You talked about Marcus Williams, but both Ronnie Stanley and Kyle Hamilton did not play in this one. How, how badly did the team miss those two? Definitely, definitely miss those two. I think if Kyle Hamilton's in this game, you're looking at a much more confident defense, and you're probably going to have Marlon Humphrey playing outside cornerback. You're not going to have Zay Jones picking on you. You're not going to have Christian Kirk making as many plays. Trevor Lawrence is probably going to hold the football longer. You can give more help to Marcus Peters at times and, and protect him a little bit more. So instead, you you kind of put yourself in this catch-22 where Brandon Stevens is on the outside, and, and he did make a couple plays early. I don't think, you know, uh, it, it, it's a fun story with Brandon Stevens of him converting from running back, and I think he's a spectacular athlete. But then to change positions again, it's just what did Ozzie Newsom say? You can never have enough cornerbacks. They lose Fuller. You have Hamilton, who's effectively playing the nickel position, go down, and you just don't feel confident at cornerback. I think this defense is awesome. They're a great unit. Once they, hopefully, you know, if they get Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton back, you're probably looking at a really outstanding defense. The area that teams are going to pick on until that happens is wherever Marlon Humphrey isn't. Whatever corner isn't Marlon Humphrey, they're going to try to isolate those guys. And they're going to pick on them. That's where you have to attack. You can't really run the ball on them. Even though once Travis Etienne went down, shockingly, Michael Hasty comes in and starts being able to make a few plays here and there and you know, able to go score a touchdown. But it's just difficult right now. They don't have the horses at cornerback outside of Marlon Humphrey. It feels like Marcus Peters, you know, God bless him coming back from a traumatic injury, getting back on the field. He's made a couple plays. But it feels like he's playing football more than he's playing cornerback. It feels like he's not within his technique. He's playing some, they played a lot of cover two late in the game, which I don't think is a good utilization of what he does well. And so Trevor Lawrence keeps attacking the honey hole between Marcus Peters and the, the safety in the half field assignment. So we end up seeing that happen time and time again. And it is what it is. They, they couldn't get it done. Couldn't make a play after that Calais Campbell or whoever forced the fumble, you know, they, they were so close. They were an arm length away from being able to grab that ball and end the game. And we're talking about a, a different outcome and, a team that people are like, all right, they had some issues offensively, but were able to go get a stop. But, you know, they, they couldn't do it. Uh, the Jaguars aren't set on their final play of the game. The right tackle's in motion still. The Ravens aren't set even. And it looked like receivers were still moving. And they let the Jaguars get a playoff there. And, you know, of all the plays that were made or weren't made, I guess I should say, in Marcus Peters, I just don't know what you want him to do there. Trevor Lawrence put a perfect ball on. Uh, there was enough of a split outside where the receiver Marvin Jones, who, Kevin, as we've been saying for two or three years, maybe if the Ravens would have traded for Marvin Jones Jr., locked on Ravens legend, yeah. we're not talking about this happening. So you can blame Eric DaCosta in the end for this loss for not trading for locked on locked on Ravens legend Marvin Harris. Marvin Jones. Yeah, well, hey, Marvin Harrison Jr. is coming up in the draft in a couple, so maybe that's it. Marvin. Maybe. We just want a Marvin. Exactly. We want him on there. But, you know, sometimes it is how the ball bounces, and you got to give credit to Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars for going out there, playing it tough, and being in striking distance to be able to pull out the win. But, Spencer, I know there's a lot of conversation about just where the blame falls in this loss because, obviously, the offense could not get a lot going until the fourth quarter. But the defense gave up 18 points 
in that fourth quarter. And obviously I know it's you win as a team, you lose as a team. It is a little of both, but do you lean either one way when you talk about where you put the blame? To me, games are won and then lost in the fourth quarter. And I think I was impressed. Like I said, it is kind of sad how easy of a fix get the play calls in on time was for this offense to start moving the ball. They generate 240 yards and I think 17 points, 18 points in the second half, uh, able to convert in the red zone two times by a simple fix like getting the play call in earlier, getting to the line earlier. Um, so that was it was good to see, but sad to know that that is what held them back in the first half. But then you go into the fourth quarter, the Ravens make plays. Lamar Jackson absolutely rips a 63-and-a-half-yard pass to Deshaun Jackson at 35 years old on second and 20, flips the field. The Ravens go and score a touchdown. That's winning football. And I think, you know, PFF grades, we talk about that stuff, and that's something that's subjective. But I do know in their grading system, when the game is on the line, you get more points if you make a big play. They grade you higher for what you do with the game on the line. When the game was on the line, the Ravens offense was able to get it done. They even almost got into Justin Tucker's field goal range. You know, I don't, I don't, I hate to blame Josh Oliver. I don't want to blame him here. It's like if he did what Sammy Watkins did against the Lions and kind of just gets up field as much as he can, hey, maybe he can go get four more yards. They use a timeout. There's one or two seconds left, and, and Tucker probably makes that one, which is a crazy thing to say, but true. Uh, so the defense, again, they just acted like they made the winning play, and they didn't. It was still third and 21. They go let up 16 yards, I believe, on third down. They allow the Jaguars to convert on fourth down. And in the end, the redemption was that you called a timeout ahead of a two-point conversion, and that is what the game came down to, to one play. It came down to a two-point conversion. Can you make one stop? And again, they, I think it was foolish in that situation. It's, it's, And I don't know that that was something that they would even think about changing. It's what they practiced throughout the week, I'm assuming, whatever, but – you end up with Brandon Stevens getting isolated in man coverage. I, I, that's that's setting yourself up to not do what your defense does best. Your ideal matchup is not allowing Brandon Stevens to be isolated. You needed to protect him there. If you see something like that, he needs to go outside leverage and you draw safety over top. And then you have Marlon Humphrey in the slot, and Marcus Peters on the other side. I would rather lose from Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Peters in a one-on-one in that situation. So it's all easier said than done. Hindsight's always 2020, but to me, the defense didn't play winning football. Uh, they, they, it was just really infuriating that they just played like they got off the field before they did. I think it, it's definitely something that they probably feel foolish about. And I think that Mike McDonald ultimately might deserve the blame here. Again, he, he just sits in cover two over and over and over. They let the Jaguars work down the field. They didn't force them to push the ball down the field. You have all of your timeouts still. If you can get them to score, if you letting up the deep play shouldn't be a concern when you're up by a touchdown with three timeouts. You should be forcing them to make a play over top. So I think that was really disappointing to see. And it just felt, I don't know, it felt frustrating because they had the issues in the fourth quarter earlier in the season and it felt like they finally were able to get that bugaboo out and then they go let up a ton of points in the fourth quarter again. And it, it's just broken. Right. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier how they didn't really attempt any of those deep shot, mega deep shot plays throughout the course of the game. You want to force them to do that. I completely agree with that. The Ravens have a lot to figure out both offensively and defensively. Coming up, we'll talk about the offensive side of the ball, red zone offense, maybe a little Greg Roman in there and more. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to dive into on Locked on Ravens. But first, 
This episode is sponsored by Turo. And Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. You can browse a huge selection of vehicles just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or even a holiday. You can find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from point A to point B. You can even test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits your everyday life. Many Toro hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Toro.com. We're back. Our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allstriker still here with Spencer Schultz. The Ravens losing 28-27 to Jacksonville in week 12. Offensively, not a lot going till that fourth quarter. But Spencer, a lot of conversations have been had this year about the Ravens' red zone offense and how they continue to trade touchdowns for field goals. The Ravens get the ball down to the Jacksonville 10-yard line, the Jacksonville 12-yard line on their first two possessions, come away with just six points. They're two for five in the red zone overall. That means they left 12 points on the board in a one-point loss. So, I mean, what do you need to see out of this red zone offense, and how do you fix that right now if you're the Ravens? What the Ravens did early in the game in their first red zone, two red zone trips – Jaguars are a zone heavy team and the Ravens simply tried to depend that if they ran vertical cross seam type routes, that the Jaguars would make a mistake passing off zone coverage and there would be an open window and they didn't. So the Ravens weren't aggressive enough. I don't think when you see a team that's aligning and aligning in these kind of four man stacked fronts, what people call a four, three, um, at times hit the flats go attack the perimeter we see them get into the red zone because they put the ball in Devin Duvernay's hands one series they're able to go run a bash concept he has one lead blocker Justice Hill I think or another something of the sort and is able to go get up the sideline the recipe to beating the Ravens in my mind is to ignore the flats ignore the perimeter aside from Lamar Jackson run concepts stack the middle of the field it has nothing to even do with the pass game where it's like, oh, make them throw it. They just don't utilize the the width of the field at times and defenses that take advantage of that and are able to overwhelm the, the offensive line in ways, have linebackers shoot gaps, take advantage of it. They're protected over the middle of the field. And people want to say it's one coverage or another coverage or it's this coverage or it's that. It's really just any coverage or any alignment where you crowd the middle of the field and force them to be efficient in the flats. And they weren't. I don't think they were. And you see it in the first two red zone trips. Again, it's like they're trying to have Mark Andrews run through zones and the Jaguars have three guys with eyeballs on him. Um, we end up seeing, you know, Demarcus Robinson in the back of the end zone, nearly make one. It's the same thing where Demarcus Robinson ran through the back of the zones and there's a throwing window and Lamar Jackson puts on a, a pretty decent ball considering how he threw it off platform, you know, on the run rolling to his right. And then they just didn't make plays. Mark Andrews drops a, a lollipop that was dropped into his hands. I, I don't – the hand positioning for both Robinson and Andrews was just very strange. Andrews kind of gator arms and lets the ball get into his face where you can't see, and then you don't know exactly where the ball is, and it closes and squeeze. And Robinson, you know, it's it's really hard to criticize Robinson. Uh, you know, he dove for the ball. The, his hands are really close to his face. So then what does he do as well? Smacks the, the ball off of his face. So should he have dove? Should he have not? Should he have gone to blah, 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 Sure. But I just don't think they're attacking teams 
as much as they are depending on teams making mistakes. And the primary issue really, especially on, I think, the first red zone drive, you get a delay a game on second and 10, and then it's second and 15. And what is that a result of? Not getting plays in on time. I think you're not letting Lamar Jackson operate. You're not giving him time to make checks. At this point, he's been in the same offense for four years. He knows that offense inside and out. Do the receivers know it? Maybe not. You know, Robinson's now kind of his number one guy a couple months into his tenure. You know, not someone that's regarded very highly. Whatever. Did some nice things in this game at times. But it, it needs to be his show a little bit more so at this point. Or else, what? Like, I, I don't get it. You're considering, and there's reports that the Ravens offered him basically excluding Deshaun Watson, the biggest contract in NFL history. But you're not letting him dictate the offense enough in those situations. I think that one of the biggest issues is it doesn't really matter what you call when you have the same guys and the same offense, especially Lamar Jackson. He's the type of player who will make you right. If you call an option run and a defensive end bites and and the linebacker plays it perfectly, how many times have we watched him just shake the, the guy? Lamar Jackson can make the wrong read in the option game and still make you look right. So, um, you know, the past concept, something we talk about so much. He's so creative after the snap. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to have the perfect play. It's always trying to have the perfect play, the perfect thing. How do we exploit their weaknesses? I think it's not aggressive enough in the sense of maximizing your strengths, getting the ball in the hands of guys like Devin Duvernay and Kenyon Drake, who have been touchdown makers for you in limited opportunities. Uh, you don't need to be perfect play call wise. You need to be confident and you need to be at the line with enough time and arming Lamar Jackson with the checks to have the answers. The NFL and all of this play called the uh, discourse we get on and route concept. The NFL is if then. If the safety does this, I throw here. If the safety does that, I go here. If the linebacker does this, then. If the defensive end does this, then. It's all if then. Arming him with the checks. If they line up this way, then. And letting him get to the line sooner. It doesn't need to be tempo even necessarily. It's just getting the call in. You don't need to change personnel as often. Okay, it's first and 10, so we're going to go with this 21 personnel run concept. Okay, now it's second and 10, so we are going to switch to this 11 personnel concept. Those four guys have to come off the field and four new guys have to come on the field, and then we're going to call in a run and a pass play. So he has it. It's too much. And when you have that margin for error, that slim, fighting against the clock, guys aren't going to execute. So that was the major problem. And then, like I said, what was the big fix? John Harbaugh says at halftime, we got to get the plays in quicker. They do. They produce yards. They score points. They put themselves in a position to win the game offensively. Yeah, and you mentioned tempo there. I'm actually interested to hear if you think they should run more tempo, if Greg Roman should arm Lamar Jackson with the ability to just be more free. Because we know that Lamar Jackson, when he has some of that ability to run the offense, to get into those checks, he can do a really good job. So do you think the Ravens maybe should run more tempo slash give Lamar Jackson more freedom in this offense? There is tempo's fine. You know, going no huddle, it's fine. I, 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 I use the word tempo here in a different sense than the traditional football sense. You need to get to the line quicker. You need to have more tempo and urgency in your operation. If you want to go no huddle and up tempo and those things, sure. Sprinkling that in is great. I do think Lamar Jackson's done a good job there. It just doesn't even need to be a no huddle type situation. Let the same personnel have three snaps in a row. As soon as you find yourself in a situation where you're thinking, oh man, we've been kind of fighting the play clock here, just keep the same guys on the field and get another call in. And you can take your time at that point to get the call in. That can give you as a play caller more time to weigh four different plays. 
because on the sideline, it's not them signaling, holding up a card, players looking confused. And what if they make a mistake? What if you're on the road? What if it's really loud? And the guy, you, you have to then run to the huddle. The huddle is like this quick panic thing where like everybody's like trying to get out of the huddle as quickly as possible. And, and what does that end up happening? Guys go to the wrong side of the field. They didn't hear right or left. They're on the, all over discombobulated. So just keep the same guys on the field a couple of times. Mixing in up-tempo, no huddle, sure. I, I think the best offense is every offense. And yes, Lamar Jackson has been good at it. We've watched him work down the field. I mean, again, one play almost got them in field goal range and, and could have even done so if you kind of fell down, took a timeout, get another eight-yard play, you might end up being right there. So up-tempo, no huddle, whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. Just the grand orchestration of different personnel groupings from play to play makes the Ravens beat themselves. And that's why I think fans are so frustrated and the team sounds like they're frustrated because they have had a two-score lead in 11 of 11 games. The only other teams to do that have all been 11-0. So um, I think that's that. And then defensive late meltdowns. There's It's like there's one culprit in, in sense in the 30,000-foot overview. Operations and play calling and not being able to, to execute late in the fourth quarter or maybe not have guys in the perfect position defensively. So those two things are really holding them back right now. Right, and then even after that delay of game penalty, I think on the very next play, I think the play clock was at zero again, and they snapped it. So even coming out of a delay of game penalty, they still have the same issue. We saw it throughout the course of the game. We've seen it throughout the course of Greg Roman's tenure here. So hopefully hopefully the halftime thing was the spark for them, and we're not going to see it moving forward, but we have seen them talk about it before and say, yeah, we're going to get it under control, we're going to get it under control, and then what happens the next week is not under control. But we're going to talk about the defense coming up here, talking about the late game collapses and more, so be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to dive into on the show. But first, this episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we're sure you're going to love. Find Block Forever now wherever you get your podcasts. Block Forever is a brand new podcast from former NFL All-Pro Ryan Khalil and Audible. Khalil takes the conversation about football to the next level. He gives football fans and insiders look at the game through the eyes of the greatest players and personalities of all time. Khalil sits down with star players, coaches, and former pros across the league to get real about what happens on the field and behind the scenes so inside the locker rooms, during team meetings, even back at the hotel. Catch the full Block Forever series available anywhere you get your podcasts. Available everywhere now. Audible, get in the game. We're back rounding out Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker is still here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, for this Ravens defense, they were playing really, really well. You know, you go back to the second half of the Tampa game, the New Orleans game, the Carolina game was great for them. And then you have some positives in the first three quarters, but you do see the fourth quarter collapse, 18 points allowed and I feel like it's something where they're going to be better when they get Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton back but for you is it as simple as just getting those two guys back how much does that elevate this defense when those two guys are back on the field I think it absolutely elevates this defense uh, again I don't think it's a, uh, a uh, coincidence that you see Kyle Hamilton out who has manned up in the slot and been able to be someone that was effective against screens, was effective in the run game, has been effective as a blitzer, has been effective taking tight ends out of the game. The Jaguars were successful on some screens. And I think if Kyle Hamilton's on the football field, they're not. And you don't really want to call those. And again, I think it just shifts your focus. Having someone that athletic, that large, that has looked like the caliber of athlete that he's been back on the football field, it really makes the only place you can pick on Marcus Peters. I think you're comfortable in a couple different coverages and a couple different variations and asking him to do some different things. He can do some things that allows the linebackers to, to be a little bit more aggressive as well. Uh, he's just a better pursuit defender who can go end plays. And Marcus Williams is, is really kind of the forgotten man here. I mean, 
he was before he was injured, the one who was ending plays. He was the one who was getting stops, as PFF puts it, where he's tackling them short of the line to gain or ending the play short of a success rate, things like that. And then on top of that, the range that you can use, you're comfortable mixing in a little bit more single high looks where he can kind of really uh, bait some throws and do those things. He had three interceptions in two games to start the year. I think he had a pass breakup in every single game and was looking every part of that $70 million safety. So, uh, you know, the Ravens, invested so much of their capital spent so much of their capital in the safety room for a reason and they're without their two marquee guys there now so um it's it's definitely massive it more so than anything else limits you as a play caller it feels like and i think that was part of the reason we saw a lot of the cover two they weren't comfortable with the slot player or or with you know whatever was going on to the number two side away from marlon humphrey a lot of times um, again, where did the Jaguars feast? They didn't throw a ball over 25 yards downfield. They were able to just manipulate zone coverage, uh, zone windows, I should say, and, and go strike five yards, 10 yards, 15 yards downfield over and over in that intermediate to kind of slight deep range, just over 20 yards. So those guys being out is massive. I think they uh, end up resulting in more turnovers. Ultimately, they allow you to, to disguise things. Teams aren't as threatened, you know, when, with Kyle Hamilton working and getting up towards the line of scrimmage and what he can do in the flats and closing in pursuit, all of those different things. You know, the, the two guys have different skill sets, but kind of the same impact in ways in different areas of the field. So massive. Um, they don't lose a game with those two guys on the football field. I don't think they even come close to losing the game with those two guys on the football field. Yeah, I agree. They're monumental to what this defense does. And moving over to play calling, Spencer, you mentioned Mike McDonald and how there were some things you would have liked to see from him that he did not do in this one. I think he's definitely settled in since the first couple weeks of the season. But what do you want to see from him moving forward to really get this defense on track to not have another collapse like we've seen multiple times this season? I think they need to mix in more man match coverage. Um, it felt like they wanted to stay away from that with Brandon Stevens and the Jaguars. What they do best is have two receivers align or three receivers align in a trips or a, a bunch of a stack, I should say, for two receivers and then forcing those DBs to sort it correctly. Uh, and the Ravens just didn't want to put, I think that's why we saw a good bit of cover too, especially late. They didn't want defenders to be in the position to sort. They wanted Trevor Lawrence to beat them in those honey hole areas and in those kind of gaps um, from the in between the the hook defenders and the curl defenders. And they didn't feel comfortable playing man match. And it, it ends up being more zone. And when you play a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who's getting protection, they weren't able to generate pressure, which is another aspect. Again, I think with Hamilton on the field, you're more comfortable disguising up front, blitzing him, blitzing Queen, blitzing Roquan able to drop some different defenders off, take away some first reads, things like that. So um, I, I think they just really can't afford to have Marlon Humphrey or uh, both of Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams out, or it just limits them structurally. And that's about it. I mean, they don't have the cornerback depth and Marcus, you know, even Marcus Peters right now, again, if I'm picking a place to attack this defense, even with Kyle Hamilton on the field, it's still going to be Marcus Peters. You need to be able to protect him in ways and I don't think asking him to be in those cover two situations coming off of his ACL, he's not as explosive as he was. He's not able to cover ground and bait throws and things like that. So I think we're going to see teams keep picking on him uh, week in and week out. And until those guys are back on the football field, you're not going to be able to give him as much support. And I think the struggles will continue.
Yeah, I think it all does go back to Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton. It just elevates them so much. But the Ravens do have a Week 13 matchup with Denver, Spencer. Does that game get any more important with this loss to Jacksonville in terms of maybe a response factor? Definitely. The Ravens aren't known for losing two games in a row. Um, I, I would say at this point, when you're 7-3 and three and you're starting to feel like you fixed a lot of issues, and if for some reason, which you know, I'll, I'll knock on the old wood there, but if for some reason you can't get it done against this pathetic excuse for a Denver Broncos professional football team right now, I don't know what to say. And I would think that they fire someone and that uh, heads, heads start to roll there. And it, it looks like, you know, it doesn't, if they lose that game and don't make any major changes, then you can rule them out there. You know, maybe they stumble into the playoffs still, but suddenly you're seven and five when you were seven and three, it's a, a lot different story. And I think frustrations, which clearly mounted for Lamar Jackson and uh, the coaching staff and many other things just will boil over. So do have to get it done at home. Um, This Broncos team is reeling. They just got, I mean, it's a matchup league. It's week week to week league, but they haven't been able to score on anyone. They, I don't think they've scored over 18 points in months. And if you can't kind of stomp them out a little bit, then something's got to happen. So it's, it's due. The Ravens are due. I mean, they, had they should have thrown at least three, four touchdown passes in this game. And can you go put up 30 points at home? It feels like they don't really have these scoring outbreaks at home anymore. And their kind of high score totals have all been on the road. So can you do something on offense at home in front of a crowd that so badly wants to see a successful offensive game against a team in Denver that feels like they're reaching their breaking point? Right. It's something where you have to get back on track and at home against that Denver team. Denver has a really good pass defense, but I just still feel like you should be able to get this dominant wire to wire win at home that so many have wanted. As you talked about, we saw it against the Saints where that I think is the closest thing we've seen to that. But you want to do it at home. The Jets game, it was away. The Saints game, it was away. Tampa was away. So you want to get that done at home. The biggest output of the year is the Patriots on the road. Yeah, exactly. So you want to get something done at home. And we've seen some, we've seen those comebacks, you know, the Dolphins collapse, the Bills collapse. That happens at home. And you want to have that be able, and obviously, you know, this game against Jacksonville is on the road. You also have the Giants game on the road, but this home crowd, they deserve it. And plus, it's, it's Marshall Yonda. You're honoring Marshall Yonda. You cannot disrespect Marshall Yonda and lose to Denver in that game. Spencer, I appreciate you having on. Thanks so much for joining me here. Tell me what you have going on here and what we have going on here as well. Definitely this upcoming weekend for that Broncos game. You can come to uh, meet up with all the boys. You can find me, Kevin, Bobby Trossett, Jake Luke, Cole Jackson. We're doing a big, big, big fan meetup at Pickett Brewing located on South Packer Street, a couple blocks from the stadium. You can find more about that. There's a flyer on Twitter you can find as well. Um, We'll be putting that out a ton. So come meet up, have a beer, get ready to go see the Ravens take on the Broncos and bring Marshall Yonda into the ring of honor. Another get right for the Ravens when they feel like they're they're stumbling a little bit. They had the 10-year Super Bowl anniversary and were able to go get a win at home uh, against, I think, the Browns, perhaps. And then this one, you got Marshall Yana going in. So come meet up with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, excited to, to see a lot of people that have been listening for the last couple of years there. And then I've got a big article coming out on, on Greg Roman and the Ravens right now. And I have the money downs coming out as well, looking at all those key downs, those third and fourth downs, and uh, that'll ultimately get to the end of the game where the Ravens were able to keep the Jaguars out and keeping to doing the film work, all the good stuff. Thank you so much for having me on and I'll talk to you guys next week.
Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ben. So you can, of course, go see us at Pick a Brewing. We'll be excited to see if you do come out. And also be sure to check out Spencer's work over at Baltimore Beatdown. It'll be in the description below. But that's all I have for you here today on Locked on Ravens. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, it's more Ravens content from me. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And I'll see you right back here tomorrow.